0: Next four weeks, we're going to do a, a short series talking about the church, and we're going to we're going to look at um, four pictures that were given in the Bible, um, pictures of the church. Why are we doing this? Um, well, um, I think that the church is important. Ruf is a ministry of the church. Uh, I'm or, ordained minister, sent by a denomination here to do uh, ministry. And college is only four years, and when you guys are done here. It, it, If you are a Christian and you're seeking to follow Jesus, that's going to be spent the rest of your life in the church. So I think it's important for us to talk about it. And the church, Capital C Church, um, means God's people throughout history. The people throughout history, throughout all time and all places who've put their faith in Jesus. And um, maybe you don't know what to think about the church. Maybe um, I know a lot of people don't know what to think about the church, and that's often because we don't know how to think about the church. Um, When we look at the church from the outside, it's easy to look at it and say, well, the church has a lot of problems, Um, and that's because people have a lot of problems, right? The church is made up of real people. It's made up of sinners, um, of all varieties, greedy people and bigots and gossips and racists and fools, um, people like you and me, and if you start spending time in the church, uh, time with the church, you are going to run into problems, because it is made up of sinners. But um, the reason that the church is made up of sinners is because that's who Jesus loves, and that's who he died for. And the church, the church isn't for perfect people. The church is for real people. So um, my hope in these next four weeks as we talk about the church together is that um, we're gonna see, my hope is that, it, that as we do this, it'll shape your imagination that we'll begin to see the church the way that God sees the church because the church is actually God's idea. Um, and maybe along the way, answer some questions too, Like, what does it look like to be involved in a church? How do you go about finding a church? And so the four things we're going to look at um, this week, we're going to be talking about a temple of priests. Um, next week, a beloved bride. Following that, the body of Christ. And then finally, a family of God. So the first picture we're going to look at is a temple of priests. If you want to turn with me to the back of your bulletin, um, our passage is written there for tonight. This is First Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 9. This is God's word for us tonight. It is completely true, and he gives it to us in love. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices accepted, acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word, as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness. Into his marvelous light. This is the word of the Lord. There's a woman named Anne Lamott who is a, a writer, and um, she wrote a book called Traveling Mercies, which is sort of her spiritual biography. Um, and she tells a story, it uh, takes place in the 80s. She says that at this time in her life, she was addicted to cocaine. She's a struggling writer trying to get by. <laughs> And she tells a story about how um, on Sundays she'd go to the flea market. And this is what she writes. She said, if I happened to go there between 11 and 1 on Sundays, I could hear gospel music coming from a church right across the street. The church looked homely and impoverished, a ramshackle building with a cross on top, sitting on a small parcel of land with a few skinny pine trees. But the music wafting out was so pretty that I would stop and listen. I knew a lot of the hymns from the times I'd gone to church with my grandparents and from the albums we'd had of spirituals. Finally, I began stopping in at the church from time to time, standing in the doorway to listen to the songs. I couldn't believe how run down it was, with terrible linoleum that was brown and overshined and plastic stained glass windows. But it had a choir of five black women and one rather Amish-looking white man making all that glorious noise, and a congregation of 30 people or so radiating kindness and warmth. During the time when people hugged and greeted each other, various people would, people would come back to where I stood to shake my hand or try to hug me. I was as frozen and stiff as a statue. After this, scripture was read, and then the minister would preach about Jesus, which would be enough to send me running back to the sanctuary of the flea market. I went back to the church about once a month. No one tried to con me into sitting down or staying. I always left before the sermon. I love singing, even about Jesus, but I didn't want to be preached at about him. To me, Jesus made about as much sense as Scientology. But the church smelled wonderful, like the air had nourishment in it, or like it was composed of these people's exaltations of warmth and faith and peace. There are always children running around or being embraced. I could sing better here than I ever had before. As part of these people, even though I stayed in the doorway, I did not recognize my voice or know where it was coming from. But sometimes I felt I could sing forever. A few months after I started coming, I took a seat in one of the folding chairs off by myself. Then the singing enveloped me. It was furry and resonant, coming from everyone's very heart. There was no sense of performance or judgment, only that the music was breath and food. I love that. Don't you want to go to that church? Only, only that the music was breath and food. When the church is what it's supposed to be, it's transformative. It's transformative. And I know this isn't everyone's experience of the church. Um, Maybe you have had a great experience of church growing up. Maybe you've had a a terrible experience of the church. Maybe you have no experience at all. Um, But tonight, what I just want us to look look at for a few moments is, what is it that makes the church so wonderful? So our outline tonight, looking at this passage, is, what is this image of the temple, the image of the priest, and then finally, how do you find a good church? So first, the image of the temple. This is verse 5. Peter writes, You yourselves, like whole... Living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. A few years ago, uh, I was driving through rural Pennsylvania, and I noticed that there were just these long stone walls everywhere. And I wondered, how did these walls get there? Like in these fields, these long stone walls— and um, this is how I think they got there. I don't actually know how they got there. But what I assume is that farmers over the years, as they're plowing the ground, they would discover these rocks under the soil and they'd dig them up and they put them in a pile. And over time, with lots of plowing, they would build these long stone walls, um, gathering these scattered stones that they found that their plows hit in the spring and that they would then um, place together to make these walls. And this is what Jesus is doing in the world. He's plowing the earth, he's uncovering his stones, he's building his scattered stones, not into walls for farmland, but into a dwelling place for God. And the picture here that Peter gives us is that God is like a great stonemason. He's gathering these living stones, he's uncovering them, digging them up from the four corners of the earth and bringing them together from different places, putting them together that he might build a house to dwell in with Jesus Christ as the cornerstone. One pastor puts it this way. He says, um, if you think about bricks on a wall, if you are one of these stones, one of these living stones, one of the bricks on the wall, there are bricks above you and there are bricks below you. And the ones above, if you shake, they shake. And if you're taken out, they fall. And the ones below you, if they shake, you shake. And if they're taken out, you fall. So if you're a Christian, um, is that your experience? That if you were pulled out, would other people collapse? Or if others were pulled out, that you would collapse? Or do you relate to anyone like that, even in your friend group? Peter is saying this is how deep, how strong the Christian community is supposed to be. And if this is not your experience, well, then how do you form this kind of relational strength? Like, how do, how do you have this unity, this strength, the, the this image of these stones being built together, the strength of a stone building? How, how do we get this? Um. Well, the way that we get it is by showing up to church and keep showing up. Um, this is the way that it's always been, that in order to actually build these strong relationships, we have to show up. In, in Luke's gospel, in, in the fourth chapter, um, it tells us that Jesus went to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. What does this mean? This means that Jesus had an established re- weekly routine of attending synagogue, which is like the local church Um, It was the Jewish equivalent of the local church. He had a a habit of showing up every Sabbath day. And apparently, among his hometown folk, this was known as his custom. I just want you to imagine the scene with me. You have the second Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, God in flesh, sitting in a small synagogue, probably 60 people, surrounded by normal people, bored people, distracted people, people dozing off. I mean, imagine Jesus sitting there as the Old Testament scriptures are read and then someone stands up and talks about the passage and completely misinterprets it and there is the second person of the Trinity sitting in worship. And then they, they sing a psalm together. The, the congregation sings a psalm together and they sing a messianic psalm. This would be one of the, the psalms that talks explicitly about the coming Messiah, talks explicitly about Jesus. And imagine Jesus in church looking around and seeing like, that guy over there isn't even singing. That guy, by his body language, clearly he doesn't want to be here right now. Like, um, meanwhile, the one that they're worshiping is in their very midst. Imagine Jesus' inward response as he witnesses such apathy towards God. How did he respond? Did their mundane, sin stained worship prompt him to, like, say, I'm not going to church anymore? Those people, um, I don't want to be around those people. No, we're told it's his custom. Jesus continued to go each week. And then I want you to think about another passage. In Hebrews 10, 25, it says this. It says, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. And this word meeting together, these two words meeting together, in Greek, it's, it's actually a translation of the single word in Greek, um, episynagogue. But you hear the word synagogue. It, it's basically what that word, what that is saying is let's not give up going to church together. So is there a passage in scripture that says Christians have to meet together every Sunday? No. But from these passages, we see that it's meant to be a habit that shapes us and guides us. Um, the life in the church is supposed to be a habit formed in community that shapes us, like living stones built up into a spiritual building and Peter says that these stones are being built into a spiritual house. And the image that he's evoking here is the temple. Now, the temple um, was the place in Jerusalem where God dwelt with his people in a special way. And Peter is saying that now, because of Jesus, because of his death and his resurrection and his ascension into heaven and the sending of his spirit, the church, this is where God dwells. God's presence is the mortar that holds it all together. One of the main ways that we receive Jesus is through one another. And you know this, right? If you need a friend to tell you that Jesus loves you, you need someone else outside of you to comfort you, that God is with you, right? We need the Bible. We need Jesus. And often the way that God gives us truth and he gives us life in Jesus is through one another, through the living stones of the temple. The Bible actually has no category for individual Christians. No, no category for it's just me and God, Christianity. Um, I've shared this story with you all before, um, but I'll share it again. I heard a story about a young Christian who visited an older Christian to talk about how he disliked organized religion, and they sat down by the fire in this old man's house, and the younger man asked if it was okay if he just followed Christ on his own without having to be involved with the church. And the old man didn't say anything, but he simply leaned forward and with tongs, he took a glowing red hot coal from the fireplace and he set it on the hearth. And the two of them sat in silence as they watched that coal go from bright orange to yellow to cool black. The way that we receive nourishment, the way that we receive warmth and light is being built together with God's people. And y'all, this takes practice and it happens in community and without it, We grow cold and dark. So the church is a temple and it's also a priesthood. Let me read verses five and nine for us. Um, To be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And then verse nine, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. When God calls you to himself, he calls you into something bigger than yourself. He calls you into a priesthood. I know this is weird. Like, we don't talk about priests really, except in the Catholic Church and then, like, Led Zeppelin covers of their albums. Like, it's just this kind of weird thing in our imaginations. Um, so, what is a priest? Um, in the Old Testament, a priest, the job of the priest was to represent God to the people and to represent the people to God. And God calls Israel. who were his Old Testament church, he calls them to be a priesthood to the world, to represent God to the world, and then to bring the world in to fellowship with God. And in Christ, if you're a Christian, God calls you to be a priest, to offer your life up as a spiritual sacrifice, to give your life as a gift of love for the sake of your neighbor. God doesn't want just your spiritual devotion, not just your religious observance, but he wants your very life. Not just for your sake, but for the sake of the people around you. And this is the pattern of the kingdom of God, laying down one's life for others. right, we see this where we see, we see this most clearly where we see all beautiful things in Jesus, that Jesus was holy and he gave his life away for sinners, that Jesus is God and he gave his life away for people. Jesus was a Jew and he gave his life for Gentiles. Jesus said that the greatest act of love is a man laying down his life for his friends. And that's what he's done for us. So when God calls us into the priesthood of all believers, he calls us to follow him in giving our lives away for people who are not like us. Um, I've, been lic- I've been listening, excuse me. I've been listening to the new Mumford & Sons album on repeat, like way too much. And there's this there's this one song on it. It's the title of the album, um, Delta. And there's this line that repeats in it that goes, does your love prefer the other or does your love just make you feel good? Does my love prefer the other, or does my love not just make you feel good? Um, I think it's just a question to let us to let search us um, and put on, when you go when you're after this night. Uh, put on your headphones and listen to this song; it's so good. But the, does our love prefer the other? Is our love shaped towards others? Is it aimed at others, or is it just about making me feel good? Um, the call of the priesthood is to tangibly love others, especially those who are not like you, to love people who don't yet know Jesus, um, to have lunch with them, to go to give them rides, to help them with their homework. I mean, these are your friends, so, um, to hold their hair after a bad night. God, God calls us in tangible ways to give our lives to people who don't yet know Jesus. Because when we didn't know God, that's what Jesus did for us, right? Right. Um, when we were still enemies, when we were enemies of God, Jesus laid down his life for us. The work of being priests is to give our lives away for the sake of our neighbors. And look at verse nine, what he says in verse nine. He says, God made his church a priesthood so that the church may be the place throughout human history that proclaims the goodness and grace of God and Jesus Christ to the world. That this is what God is doing. He's creating a people that in their creation proclaim his excellencies to the world. So what does this look like? I just want to tell you four stories, four quick stories of what this looks like. Um, I know someone who came back to Wake Forest for her 25th year reunion, and um, a woman came up to her at the reunion and said, you might not remember who I am, but I thank God for you just about every week of my life. Um, I, uh, because of the way that you loved me when I was in college, this, was, this woman was, was her sorority sister. Um, and this woman became a Christian after college. And she says that she looks back on how this friend of mine, how, um, looked back on how she loved her and how that was instrumental for her coming to know and understand God's love for her in Christ. Another friend of mine, when he was a senior in high school, um, he says that he was, he was one of, if not the only Christians in his high school. And he would end up giving people rides home after parties, um, because he wasn't drinking, and he, gave, uh, he said he gave a, a drunk girl a ride home one time after a party, and she said something like, so are we going to sleep together now? And um, he said, no. And she said, but that's not how it works. Like, you do something for me, and I reciprocate. Like, that's, that's how this works. And she, she was upset with him that he, he was just willing to give her a ride with no cost, with, with no cost to her. And this is what he said. Um, in response, he said something like this. He said, I'm a Christian, And I, um, I don't ask for anything in return. Um, Jesus loves me and he calls me to love others. And I'm telling you this so that when you encounter the love of God later in life, you will know that this is what that was. Another friend, um, she has a friend who's not a Christian and her life was falling apart. And, um, she was so needy, this friend of hers was, was so needy and hard to be around that her friends ghosted her. Like they just stopped returning her texts and her calls and spending st- time away from her because she was so exhausting. But this friend of mine um, didn't. She kept loving her, kept listening to her, kept bearing her burdens with her. And when this other girl asked why, like why, um, why are you still here? Why has everyone left and you're still here? Um, my friend said, I know you don't want to hear me talk about God, um, but the reason that I'm able to care for you is because Jesus is caring for me. And through me, he is caring for you. Y'all, this is the priesthood. This is what God is doing through his church. Um, one more story. Um, I have a friend who, before she became a Christian, she worked at a bar. And one night, uh, while she was working at the bar, there's a group of Christian women who came into the bar. Um, together and she knew they were Christian because they'd been in the bar before and she'd asked them how they knew each other and they said they went to church together and then this one woman walks in and she's she's absolutely devastated and um and and one of her friends grabs her she's crying and grabs her and pulls her into the back and then um they start like doing hand signals and gathering the other women and going back there and my friend who's who's attending the bar pull called one of the women over and said hey what's what's going on and um one of the women told her that this woman had just had a miscarriage and, um, and, these are, and she knew that these were women in the church and watching them care for each other. And this woman's response, my friend's response was, um, she, this is what she tells me. She says, this is what, I, she said, um, she said, this is what, she's like, well, she's telling me the story. She says, this is what happens, it reminded me of Wild horses. Because when, an injured, when a wild horse is injured, the rest of the horses circle around with their feet out to protect the injured animal. So that the wolves or whoever's, whatever predator can't get at it. So it can't be injured anymore. And whether the horse um, gets better or dies, um, they circle around to protect it. And she said, what I saw with these women was like wild horses. And I asked the women, can I come to your church? because of the way they loved each other y'all this is the priesthood of the church as priests the church makes the goodness and grace of jesus known to the world in the way that we love those who do not yet love jesus and in the way that we love one another the types of people who get together in the church are not the types of people who get together in the world The gathering itself, the people who come together, is a proclamation. Yes, there is the proclamation of the gospel. But the the actual gathering of the people together is itself a proclamation. That Jesus is king and he has created a new humanity in himself. And that when the church gathers together, it's very existence is proclaiming what Jesus has done in abolishing the dividing wall of hostility between man and God and man and man. So that old and young and rich and poor and Apple and Android and intellectual and uneducated and Democrats and Republicans, immigrants and citizens, white and black, whatever divides us naturally is broken down in Jesus. When God's people come together, it is a proclamation of God's grace. And y'all, know, right now, we have an incredibly divided moment as a country, right? Perhaps more than any other time in your life so far, um, we are so divided, so polarized. And the temptation that we all face is just to huddle up with people who think like us and then to throw grenades at the other people, to silo, to hunker down in our silos and to, and to throw grenades. Right, that's our natural inclination. But the church is not a natural community. In the church, we cannot behave this way because the church exists not for ourselves, but proclaim the excellencies of Christ. And y'all, you can't do that on your own. The church is a proclamation. It is a demonstration to the rest of the world how excellent God is, how wonderful the gospel is, how sweet the name of Jesus is. Saying, like, on our own, we could never be together. We don't even like each other, but we love Jesus and he loves us, so we're going to gather together to worship him. This is what it means when God calls his church a priesthood. So, just in closing, um, How do you find a good church? I'm just going to give you six quick things, um, questions for you to ask as you are looking at churches. So first, does this church love the Bible? Does it read the Bible? Does it preach the Bible? Does it pray from the Bible? Does it avoid the awkward and hard stuff or does it engage in the awkward and hard stuff? Does it focus on the main themes of the Bible, Um, creation and fall and redemption and consummation? Does it take the nitty-gritty parts of the Bible and put them in a larger story? Does the church love the Bible? Second, does it preach the gospel? When you leave the church, do you think, man, there's just a lot of stuff for me to do? There's just more stuff I need to do. There's more things I need to get involved in. There's so much more I need to volunteer with. There are more spiritual disciplines I just need to do to amp up my life. Um, If that's your takeaway after going to church, you didn't hear the gospel. Because your takeaway primarily from church should be that there is real hope in Jesus Christ for the brokenness and sin in the world. And there is real hope in Jesus Christ for the brokenness and sin in me. The church should feel like rest. You should leave feeling rest and knowing God's love for you. And sometimes, yeah, there'll be things to do, but, but you shouldn't leave feeling burdened to do more. Christ died to bear our burdens, to take them on, to give us rest in Himself. Third, is the church for both the spiritually sick and the spiritually well? Now, the church is both a hospital for the sick and a gymnasium for saints. I've heard it I've put that way: the hospital is both a, a, gymna, a, a The church is both a hospital for sick sinners and gymnasium for saints. So, question: How does this church? Care for those who are beat down and broken. And how does this church support those who are growing? Fourth, does the the church care for the poor? Um, Are the poor a project? Are they a nuisance? Or are they recognized as people who have great dignity because they bear the image of God? And fifth, um, does the church provide the sacraments? Um, Are the Lord's Supper or the Eucharist and baptism part of the life of the church? The reason I ask this is because um, you have both a soul and a body. God knows this, and he, is, he not only tells us the gospel, not only comes to us through words, but he feeds us with the gospel. We need to receive the gospel in our bodies to eat and to drink and to be spiritually fed. You need a church where you are fed, not just in remembrance of Jesus' death, but spiritually fed on the body and blood of Jesus. And if you're a Christian and you're not baptized... Um, Join a church and be baptized. Do this seriously, thoughtfully. Um, In in the book of Acts, when the gospel is first proclaimed after Jesus ascends and he sends his spirit, people ask, what must we do to be saved? And the apostle's response is repent, believe, and be baptized. Um, That it's through baptism, through the washing of water in the name of God, that he brings people into his family. Um, This is something that you seriously and thoughtfully enter into, and it is a gift of God's grace that he marks us out as his own. So if you know Jesus and you haven't been baptized, um, come talk to me. I would love to walk through this with you. Y'all, the church is not just a good idea. It's not just a helpful tip. It's not a life hack. It is God's purpose for your life. The local church is the most tangible place where God shows up. It is where we live with God and with his people. I want to end um, by returning to um, that quote from Anne Lamott that I started with at the beginning. He's talk- she's talking about going to this church. Um, she says this. She's talking about the music, right? Talking about how it's breath and food. There's no performance or judgment. There's the sound is furry and resonant. It's coming from people's hearts. She read, something inside me that was stiff and rotting would feel soft and tender. Somehow the singing wore down all the boundaries and distinctions that kept me so isolated. Sitting there, standing with them to sing, sometimes so shaky and sick that I felt like I might tip over. I felt bigger than myself, like I was being taken care of. Tricked into coming back to life, but I had to leave before the sermon. Meanwhile, my life was continuing. I'd published three books by then, but none of them had sold particularly well. And i had gotten pregnant, but I didn't have the money or the wherewithal to have a baby. The father was someone i just met. He was married and no one I wanted to have a real life or baby with. So one morning my friend took me in for the abortion and I was sadder than I'd been since my father died. And when she brought me home that night, I went upstairs to my loft with a pint of whiskey and some of the codeine a nurse had given me for pain and I drank until nearly dawn. The next night I did it again. And the next night, although by then the pills were gone. I didn't go to the flea market the week of my abortion. I stayed home and smoked dope and got drunk and tried to write a little. On the seventh night, though, very drunk, and just about to take a sleeping pill, I discovered I was bleeding heavily. did not stop over the next hour. I thought I should call a doctor, but I was so disgusted that I'd gotten so drunk one week after an abortion that I just couldn't wake someone up and ask for help. Several hours later, the blood stopped flowing. I got in bed, shaky and sad. After a while, as I lay there, I became aware of someone with me hunkered down in the corner. I just assumed it was my father, whose presence I had felt over the years when I was frightened and alone. The feeling was so strong that I actually turned on the light for a moment to make sure no one was there. Of course there wasn't. But after a while, in the dark again, I knew beyond any doubt that it was Jesus. I felt him as surely as I feel my dog lying nearby as I write this. And I was appalled. I thought about my life and my brilliant, hilarious, progressive friends. I thought about what everyone would think of me if I became a Christian, and it seemed an utterly impossible thing that simply could not be allowed to happen. I turned to the wall and said out loud, I would rather die. I felt him just sitting there on his haunches in the corner of my sleeping loft, watching me with patience and love, and I squinched my eyes shut, but that didn't help because that's not what I was seeing him with. Finally, I fell asleep, and in the morning he was gone. The experience spooked me badly, but I thought it was just an apparition, born of fear and self-loathing and loss of blood, But then everywhere I went, I had this feeling that a little cat was following me, wanting me to reach down and pick it up, wanting me to open the door and let it in. But I knew what would happen. You let a cat in one time, give it a little milk, and then it stays forever. So I tried to keep one step ahead of it, slamming my house door whenever I entered or left. And one week later, when I went back to church, I was so hungover, I couldn't stand up for the songs. And this time I stayed for the sermon, which I thought was so ridiculous, like someone trying to convince me of the existence of extraterrestrials. But the last song was so deep and raw and pure that I could not escape. It was as if the people were singing in between the notes, weeping and joyful at the same time. And I felt like their voices or something was rocking me in its bosom, holding me like a scared kid. And I opened up to that feeling and it washed over me. I began to cry and I left before the benediction and I raced home and I felt that little cat running along my heels and I walked down the dock past dozens of potted flowers under a sky as blue as one of God's own dreams and I opened the door to my house and I stood there a minute and then I hung my head and said, F it, I quit. I took a long deep breath and said out loud, all right, you can come in. So that is my beautiful moment of conversion. (laughs) Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that you, um, you don't quit and we thank you for what you do in the church, uh, that it is a temple that you are building us up into and it is a priesthood where you are making your glory and your goodness and your grace known to the world. Lord, I pray for my friends here tonight. Um, Lord, knowing that we come from all over the map with lots of different experiences, good and bad and hard. And Jesus, I pray that you would meet my friends where they are. Um, Lord, that they would know you as one who's good and gracious, um, who's given your life for them. We pray this in your name. Amen. If y'all wanna stand up, we're gonna sing one more song.